Welcome to the Three Tomatoes Happy Hour, and we do love happy hour and the clinking of glasses and cheers to all you fabulous women who are fully living your lives at every age and every stage. And here's the best news, every hour is happy hour. So whether you clink cheers with your coffee mug or your afternoon cappuccino, remember as the song says, it's five o'clock somewhere. Join us for some grown-up fun, interesting and stimulating conversations that will motivate, inspire, or just make you laugh. And for more grown-up fun, visit our website, The Three Tomatoes, and the three is spelled out, and sign up for our newsletters. Now sit back and relax and enjoy the episode. Welcome to a very special episode of The Three Tomatoes Happy Hour. I'm Cheryl Benton, your host, and we are going to be talking about one of the most beloved musicals of all time, West Side Story, with our guest, Academy Award winner, George Chakiris, who played the career-defining role as Bernardo, leader of the Sharks in the 1961 film. He also had a remarkable career before and after West Side Story, and you can read all about it in his new memoir, My West Side Story, just in time for the celebration of the 60th anniversary of the film. So welcome, George. Gosh, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here with you. I have to admit, I, I was getting my times wrong for today. I just got up. <laughs> so, so here well, we are. Well, we're on different coasts too. So I'm glad we made it. I'm glad we made it all work in this crazy world of doing yeah. everything on Zoom these days. Yeah. So I am I'm really so honored to have you as my guest today. And I just want everyone to know, and I want I want you to know too how much I really enjoyed your memoir, which I finished reading it over the weekend. It's a delightful read. It covers so many remarkable moments throughout your career, including, of course, West Side Story. And I didn't realize that not only were you in the film, but you were also in the London theatrical production first. And we are <laughs> going to be talking about all of that and more. Yes. But before we get started, I have um, I have a little audio clip that I want to share with everyone. And it's from the 1962 Academy Award show. We come now to the award for best supporting actor. Those in contention are fellows who played a juvenile delinquent, a Nazi, a gangster, a gambler, and a pool room hustler. <laughs> now you know why I turned down the title role in the story of Albert Schweitzer. <laughs> Ross Russell's gonna play it. <laughs> to present this award, here is last year's Oscar winner for Best Supporting Actress, Miss Shirley Jones. The nominees for Best Performance by an Actor in a Supporting Role are George Chakiris in West Side Story, Montgomery Clift in Judgment at Nuremberg, Peter Falk in Pocketful of Miracles, Jackie Gleason in The Hustler, George C. Scott in The Hustler. And the winner's name is in this envelope. The winner is George Chakiris from West Side Story. I would 
don't think I'll try and talk too much. I just want to say thank you very, very much. Thank you. <laughs> so you were in. Wow. What a category you were in. I mean, you were just a really young guy there. I think you were yeah. actually the youngest twin, and you were in with some pretty heavy duty big names and other movies that yeah. have also really become classics. So yes. <laughs> what do you remember that night? How did it feel when your name was called out? Well, the, the truth is, I, I don't think I expected anything. I sort of never didn't prepare for anything. Um, the best way I have of trying to describe what that evening might have felt like is if, if, you, if any of us buys a lottery ticket, never in your wildest dream, you, you never think it's impossible to win. You just know that. But somewhere you kind of hope you might, you know. Um, but so I, 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 was, I was very green and experienced. So of course, I, I didn't really, I certainly knew something wonderful was happening, but I didn't appreciate the, um, I'll say the professional aspect of any of this. Uh, it, it was just, it came kind of like a wave. Of, and you were, you're, you're, the, 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 act, the category that year, um, it just Montgomery Clift. I mean, come on. I mean, how about <laughs> that? I mean, when I think about that now, I think it, it impresses me more now than it did at the moment because now I get it. Uh, but at the time, it was just this incredible wave of, of beauty and, and, and a good thing that was happening. And then I got Rita Moreno and I attended the awards together. Same thing happened to her. So, yes. it, was, it, so it was an incredible, <laughs> it was just a, it was a, per we couldn't have asked for a more perfect night anywhere in our lives, you know. Right, and, and the uh, move, and, and it, it, the uh, show actually won 10 awards that night, I, I believe it was, right? Yes. Yeah, that's and for people, time. I just played the, uh, people will just be hearing this audio clip, but they really should go and watch the, the YouTube clip, which is at your website, and of course also on YouTube, because when you see it, you truly see the shock on your face, and it's yeah. so adorable, because Rita was sitting... <laughs> right next to you yeah. and she couldn't have been more excited and yes, I yeah. know that um yeah. I know in your book you said that neither one of you had written an expect an acceptance speech because I think all she said was thank you very much too. She, she, wrote, she was very <laughs> short too. yes yeah. <laughs> so that was so cute because I think you actually talk in the book about you had actually you were practicing your loser faces so that's um, what she said that's what Rita yes, said. yes yeah. so it clearly was uh it, it, you were definitely taken by surprise but what in what a great day and by the way I understand you and Rita Moreno are still great friends through yeah. all these years that's yeah. that's so wonderful and this year it is the 60th anniversary of the film. So hard to believe that it's been 60 years, right? It's, and it's yeah, yeah. And Turner Classics Movie, I know they're doing a special celebration in May and they're going to show the movie. I can't wait to see it again because it's been a while since I've seen it. And um, they are also including you and Rita Moreno and Russ Tamblin, who played Riff in the movie. Yes. And I think you've all done some interviews for it. So can you tell us just a little bit about what that's going to be like in May? Well, I'll tell you, we, we, we've done the interviews. Right. And of course, it was, it, we, all, we were all in separate places because of COVID. Um, Rita, Rita did her interview from her home. And Russ and I both went to Larry Mirish's home. Larry's father was uh, Walter Mirish, the producer of the film, but we were in separate parts of, of the house. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
but it was, uh, it, it, even though we were in se physically separate places, we were together really. And, and so we got to spend that time together. And uh, I, I, it, it takes something like this to make me uh, realize how, how amazing this has all transpired that, you know, when we were working on it, who would have thought what was going to happen and what has happened and continues to happen. We're all so, so very lucky and, and we're all so grateful ah. to have been part of this, this film. I mean, it's just, it's been wow. so, such a beautiful thing for all of us. Well, we're also grateful for all of you in the film too, as fans. So we're going to come back to talking about, uh, West Side Story, but I want to talk a little bit about your earlier career, which I also found was fascinating. And I know that you actually made your first movie appearance as part of a voice choir yeah. in a movie that starred not only Katherine Hepburn, but a very beautiful young girl who caught your attention. So tell us who that was. Oh, well, yeah, uh, um, when I was a kid, we moved to, I was born in Ohio, but we, my family and I moved to Long Beach, California when I was uh, 12. Um, and I had, uh, before that we lived in, I'm sorry, this is too long an answer. Before that we lived in Tucson, Arizona. And in Tucson, I had sung with the Tucson Boys Choir. So when the choir master in Tucson learned that we were moving to Long Beach, he knew of a very famous boys choir that sang every Sunday at the church service and at St. Luke's chorus church, St. Luke's Episcopal Church in, in Long Beach. And that choir also sang, had sung over the years for lots of different movies. So when I was there, I got to sing with the choir for almost five years, every Sunday, it was, loved it. But we also did, we, were, uh, we all were hired to be part of a musical sequence in a movie called Song of Love with Catherine Hepburn, Paul Henry, and Robert Walker. Wow. Uh, they, they played the lives of uh, uh, Clara, uh, Clara Schumann and, and her husband. Um, and so it was a huge uh, concert sequence in that incredible theater set uh, on the MGM lot, which was used for lots of different movies. So there was the full uh, concert orchestra, the, the adult choir on one side, the boys choir in the very back. And because we were in the very back, we were looking down at the scene that was played. And the scene that was played was very simple. Uh, 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 Mr. Schumann, the character Paul, by, by Paul Henry, is as he's conducting, is undergoing some kind of physical something bad happening to him, and so he he stops, and, and, and as when he does that, his wife um, um, Catherine Hepburn quietly walks in from the wings, and takes him gently and takes him off stage. That, that was the scene. So we got to be in that scene, and that was my very first time. Oh, on, on, what, a, on a, what an experience! It wow. Was, it, yeah, but the you know the, the beautiful girl, um, you know, with, with, there were lots of uh, there was the uh, MGM school uh, for for all the contract players like Jane Powell and Elizabeth Taylor and so on, but there was also a Halloween party for all the young kids on the lot. So uh, it was it was fun. It was a nice party. There was music. There was dancing. There was food. And Elizabeth Taylor was there, very quiet. And one of our, uh, one of the guys in our choir, he's maybe two years older than me, very good looking guy, had the, the, the courage to ask Elizabeth Taylor to dance. And she very polite, <laughs> and she very politely did. And so every once in a while, I think, I wish I'd had the courage to ask her to dance, but I didn't. <laughs> but, but, but again, she was, she, she, she had just done 
a film I think called Cynthia in which she had her first screen kiss. So she was only 15 or 16, maybe 16 herself. Wow. But, but even at 16, you couldn't help but notice that even then what a beautiful, beautiful girl she was. Yeah. Oh, I love that story. So then I know that um, you studied dance at the prestigious American School of Dance. Yeah. And it was through that that you actually started your acting and dancing career in the 1950s. And in musicals and when i think about that decade i mean that was really the golden age of musicals just so many wonderful wonderful yeah, shows yeah. and you were in so many of them you were in gentlemen prefer blondes and you were one of the dancers behind marilyn monroe and diamonds are a girl's best friend <laughs> and you were in white christmas with rosemary clooney and yeah. bing crosby oh my gosh and yeah. another musical with marilyn monroe there's no business like show business. So in your book, you talk about your impressions of Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. And also, I loved how you would be roaming around, I think it was the Paramount lot, onto other sets and getting to see other films. So tell us a little bit about that and, and what uh, you thought of Marilyn Monroe. Well, well uh, um, I loved being a, a chorus dancer in those days. It was so, we all, we, we really loved what we were doing. Uh, and I guess because there, you, there, there was, the only responsibility was doing, doing your job, you know, that, doing it well, but there was no uh, heavy uh, responsibility as it were. So it was just a lovely, lovely time. Um, uh, all the kids, I call them the kids, uh, all the dancers in town, uh, there were two choreographers that we especially always look forward to working for. One of them was Jack Cole, who choreographed um, um, a gentleman for Blondes for Marilyn. And he also uh, turned out, he did the heat wave number for her in uh, ah. uh, There's No Business Like Show Business. And the other choreographer that everybody loved to work for was Robert Alton. Robert Alton was the choreographer for um, uh, um, uh, there's no business like show business, but he had also, he had an incredible history. He had done a lot of the, those wonderful movie musicals at, 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 uh, at Metro, Easter Parade and so on. He also had done lots of theater in New York. So these were two really amazing men. Um, but uh, so uh, I was hired to be one of the dancers behind Marilyn in that, it's an incredible number, uh, Diamonds Are Girl's Best Friend. And she's, no, why, she's, she's perfect in it. The thing that I, I didn't think about it at the time, but after we were finished and you start to look back on what the experience was like, the thing that I remember most about her, I never spoke to her, uh, but that she was very quiet. She was uh, obviously really concentrated on her work, on what she was doing. And whenever, if they called cut for any reason, she didn't go to her dressing room. She didn't look in the mirror. She went right back to her starting position to start again. I mean, that's unusual because usually if, if there's a break of any kind, the first thing that anybody does is check their makeup, you know, right. <laughs> she, she didn't do that. She went right back. She, it was work. And um, I always I have always appreciated that about her because I think that shows how dedicated uh, as a performer, uh, an actress that she was to probably everything she ever did. Um, a perfectionist, I think. Um, so it was it was. Um, it, 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 one of my favorite credits is, and I'm sure you'll understand this, is to be able to say 
I was one of the guy, one of the guys behind Marilyn Monroe and Diamonds Are <laughs> Girl's Best Friend. I mean, what more could Absolutely. anybody need to say? You know? Yeah, your career could have ended there yeah, and it would have yeah. been great, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I know by the end of the 1950s, the big musicals were kind of going away yeah, and yeah. the roles for dancers like you were pretty much drying up. And you bought yourself a one-way ticket to New York. And that ticket actually also turned out to be your ticket to West Side Story. Yeah. And when you arrived in New York then, it, by then, West Side Story was the hottest show on Broadway. Yes. But you also tell the history about that show, which I had never heard before, about West Side Story and how it almost actually never happened. So could you share a little bit, some of the highlights of that with us? It's a great well, story. Well, uh, Betsy, um, I, I bought the one-way ticket to New York because there was uh, work for dancers was not happening. Uh, and I had some friends who already made the move to New York, a couple of friends of mine, uh, Drusilla Davis, my great friend, she was one of my partners in, in novices like show business, but, uh, uh, Drusilla and a friend of hers put me up on the uh, the couch in their living room so I had a place to stay, but they knew everything that was going on in New York. Uh, the, the fact that West Side Story, the theater version, was just about to celebrate its one-year anniversary, and also that um, they were forming a, a London company of West Side Story, and they told me exactly who I should try to see, to be seen if I could be, uh, to audition uh, for that. And they told me to go to the Winter Garden Theater where West Side Story was playing and to ask for Ruth Mitchell, who was the stage manager. And that's what I did. You know, when you're young, you just, you just go. You don't worry about right. things. So I went to the Winter Garden Theater, went to the stage door, and the first person I saw was Howard Jeffrey. Uh, Howard Jeffrey was now an assistant to Jerome, to Jerome Robbins on, on West Side Story and other things. But Howard was one of the star pupils at the American School of Dance. So, so we kind of knew each other. So it's like, Howard, you know, we got to say hello to each other. And uh, it had been a while. And then he introduced me to Ruth Mitchell, who was very nice. And uh, she looked at me and she said, I, th I think you should read for Bernardo. And uh, she gave me a script and set up a time for me to see, to audition for Jerry. Jerry was uh, um, uh, rehearsing Ballet's USA at the time at the Alvin Theater. So I, was, I, I had to go by uh, one of his lunch breaks on, on a particular day uh, to read for him. I, I did, I got there and, and the first thing, I remember, you know, you walk on the stage and he's out in the house and I remember his, he was, he was so gracious. <clears throat> So nice, he had a beautiful smile. And anyway, so he really welcomed you and you're nervous, but he helped, he helped that. Um, so I read uh, Bernardo and then he asked me to look at the role of Riff and take 20 minutes, look in the wings. And, and so I did that, I came back, uh, read uh, Riff. And then he asked me to learn Cool. Uh, in the theater version, Cool is sung by, by Riff. In the film version, it's sung by a character called Ice incredibly portrayed by Tucker Smith. He's, he's so fantastic and cool and Tucker is just amazing. <laughs> so uh, I did that and but I, they gave me the sheet music for cool. I, I worked on it with Canis and then came back again to um, audition for Jerry again. And then on my birthday, <coughs> I love this birthday thing, <laughs> uh, September 16, 1958, um, I got a call from Ruth Mitchell telling me that I have 
the job, the role of uh, as Ruth in the London company. And, and that same day, I had seven seven checks from my California unemployment, which which really helped. <laughs> so that was I remember that birthday like it was yesterday because it's such a great day, you know. Um, and then uh, then we started rehearsing with Jerry. That was my first time. You know, I was a because I was a West Coast dancer. I, the truth is, I didn't really know at the time who Jerry Robbins was, um, and I didn't know anything about his reputation, good bad. I didn't know anything about him, but um, uh, he was he was so wonderful to work for. Um, and it, it, I, I remember the first day of rehearsal of, uh, for the London Company. It was it, I thought I, it was all going by so fast. I thought I'm never going to be able to learn this. Uh, and I, I'm there, they're going to fire me, you know. <laughs> but I managed to get through the first day, uh, and then the days after that. And the girl, the girl who was playing Graziella, I can't think of her name right now. She was a great help because she, she just she kept she helped me to stay on track and keep focused and all of that. Um, so all of that was just uh, a one. And and by the way, um, after we had uh, rehearsed the entire piece, because we went. Uh, before going to London, we were going to the, the Opera House in Manchester, opened there first before going to London. Now, and Chita Rivera, who originated the role of Alita, too, and I mean, she's amazing. Um, Chita had just uh, had uh, her, her baby, um, was six months old at the time. So Chita, because she had had a baby, was not in the, the had, had taken even leave from the, the, the New York company. Uh -huh. But so, but we did a, a, a an uh, entire uh, rehearsal evening of the entire piece, did everything we'd learned for the theater community. And when Cheetah came out onto the stage, they were so, so thrilled and so happy to see her because she's she's amazing as well. Oh, oh I'm so sure. Yeah, uh, so lots of good. So, and one of the things too, I remember that. Um, uh, when we uh, finished rehearsing in New York, of course, we all we then had to go to Manchester uh, to for the opening out of town, out of London opening there, and everybody, everybody except for Fernando Bernstein was on a chartered plane. We were all all of us: uh, Arthur Lawrence, uh, Stephen Sondheim, Jerry. I mean, we were all all the cast, all the crew. We were all on that plane That's together. What a plane load of. <laughs> Of, of people, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And the other thing too, I thought was so so interesting in your book is um, it almost didn't get made because it was ten years of of going back and forth and naysayers and and you know people who didn't think this was ever going to work. And even when it opened on Broadway, I think people said, "Oh, it's going to be an artistic flop, right?" So <laughs> thank goodness it did get made, and all those yes. people were wrong. Yeah. So then, while you were in London and 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 the sh the show had taken off there, you you started to then hear that they were going to make the film, and they were starting to do auditions, and you and several other people in the London cast, I think, were actually invited to audition. And that was when you actually got the role of Bernardo in the film, when you had actually been playing Riff in the stage show. So how did that happen? Well, you're absolutely right. Uh, um, after about a year and a half of doing the show in London playing Riff, 
um, uh, five of us in the in the in the cast have been gotten letters from United Artists asking us to do tests for a particular roles. Uh, my letter asked me to do a, a, a scene as Riff and also seen as as Bernardo. Uh, and by the way, Ken Leroy, the original magnificent Bernardo, also he, I was playing opposite him every night, so I got to see the real guy, you know. Um, and uh, he was just incredible. So we all. Uh, went outside to, I think it was Elstree Studios outside of London, and we all did our respective tests in the course of the day. And we had the, I mean, we were in a movie studio and the camera was focused on us. I mean, it was, it was just, it was so, so exciting. So, such a, a heady experience. So at the end of the day, when we were all done our respective tests and we all, they drive us all back to the theater for, for the show that night, you know, it was like, Wow, what a day! And it was an amazing day. So, and then the weeks start to go by, and we pass each other in the hallway. Have you heard anything? Have you heard? and nobody heard anything? Uh, so, oh, and but by the way, I do remember that before we even did our test, that the, that the news of a, a, a musical version of West Side Story was going to be made, and there were things on the bulletin board uh, at, at, at the entrance of the theater that kids had gotten from home. And uh, the two names that we heard that were being uh, considered or thought about for West Side Story were Elizabeth Taylor and Elvis Presley. So, <laughs> so, so when we all got, so it was all that more dreamy that we were going to test it. Yes. But, but, but the weeks started to go by. None of us had heard anything. Five or six go by. Five or six weeks go by, and we all figure, well, okay, that's that, you know. And then one evening, I got a call from from Jerome Robbins saying, we liked your test, but we'd like to test you further. Um, and they needed me, if I could, to get a week's leave of absence from the theater to fly to LA to test as Bernardo. Okay, the theater was good enough to let me do that. I did uh, leave the show for a week to go to, you know, get to, go to LA. Saw my father for the first time in a year and a half. Um, and uh, I met Bob Wise for the first time. <clears throat> and on, uh, on the Thursday of that week, uh, Jerry Robbins directed uh, the test that I did as Bernardo with a wonderful girl, Bartha Luna, who was testing for uh, Anita. I thought she was a hot contender because she was really so good. So it, it was an incredible, another great week, what can I say? And, and when it was over, I flew back the weekend to go back into the show again. And I loved all that back and forth stuff, I really, because it, it was always so nice to be back in the theater again. Um, and then, okay, and then again, the weeks, time is flying by and I don't hear anything. And again, I think that's okay. Uh, and I remember one, it was a Friday afternoon. I was, it was when I became a real tennis buff, uh, going to Wimbledon outside of, outside of London for the tennis, international tennis matches. It was great stuff. And uh, it was an afternoon, it was sunny. And, and I remember that I had this feeling that I should get to the theater. It was much too early to get to the theater, but I, I, so I had this urge. So I left my friends and I went to the theater and there was a telegram for me telling me that I had the role of Bernardo in the uh -huh. film. That's... So, you know, you get premonitions, yes, I guess. Yes, <laughs> how awesome is that? That must have been such a thrill. Uh, so, was, yeah. so then, you know, and as we know, of course, Natalie, it wasn't Elizabeth Taylor or Elvis. It was Natalie Wood yeah. and Richard Bamer who got those two roles. Yes. Uh, so what was it like being on that set? And was that the first time that you had met Natalie Wood? 
It was. For, and first time I met Rita, first time I met everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I, I, I remember the uh, first time I saw Natalie, we were upstairs for some reason in a rehearsal space uh, at Goldwyn Studios. And I was on a balcony looking down and there on the, on the street walking up to rehearsal was Natalie, just dressed in a little simple, nice, comfortable clothing for rehearsal. And I remember thinking, even at that distance, what a gorgeous girl she was. She was so beautiful. But listen, the thing about Natalie is I, I'm, I'm, I'm a Natalie Wood person. I'm absolutely crazy about Natalie. I got to know her. I really liked her. Uh, she was only 23 at the time. But she, but she was an experienced film actress. She had been in movies since she was a kid. So she knew, and she was smart. She was beautifully intelligent, even at 23. And, but she, and she was a movie star, you know? So with Natalie in, in our midst, uh, we had a movie star in our presence. She didn't act like one, but we knew who she was. And so anyway, Natalie, and, and by the way, I have seen over the years, a number of um, theater productions of West Side Story. And I've, so I've seen a number of cast, different people playing those parts. Uh, and I've seen a lot of wonderful girls playing Maria with, with beautiful voices, everything. But to me, Natalie is still the Maria. She just yes, is. Yes, there's uh, something so luminous about her on the that, screen. Thank you. That's absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. I can't wait to watch it again in yeah. May. So, yeah. uh, you know, we'll bring all of that back. So yeah. in your memoir there, everyone, you must get you must get George's book because you have so many more fascinating uh, uh, stories about what it was like you know, filming West Side Story and of course being in the London production, but your acting career, as I said, it went on for another 30 years. It didn't end at West Side Story. And also in your book, you really share some, so many wonderful stories about so many movies that you made in Italy and, and Paris and incredible people you got to work with, like Lana Turner, Elaine Stritch. I love that chapter. Oh, company. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There was, she was definitely a one of a kind. And yeah. you also were always surrounded by some of the most beautiful women in the world. And I loved yeah. the story that you told about the evening you met Bridget Bardot. Oh, so yeah. Tell us a little bit about her because she's another one that we just all well, admire. Well, I think, so much. I, I'm just luckily in time, uh, uh, a wonderful French agent, Olga Hostig, became my representative in, in France. And she, Olga was, she was, she was just phenomenal. She was, uh, anyway, but, and she also represented Bridget Bardot. She, she represented Bridget for everything she ever did. So uh, Bridget had made a film with Jean Moreau called Viva Maria, and they were coming to Los Angeles for, for the premiere. Um, and uh, Olga invited me to join them for, for that evening. So um, to meet them at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And so I, at, when the time was right, I went to the Beverly Hills Hotel, went up to the suite and saw Olga and a couple of other people. It's very nice, quiet. And Bridget wasn't quite ready, but, but when she was ready, and she came out. It's really hard to describe these things because it really sounds so corny, but she was she was just so breathtakingly beautiful. And she was understated. She, she wasn't in your face beauty. She was calm, dignified, 
just quietly beautiful, just beautiful. And she was wearing, I remember, a soft orange gown. But the thing was that she was so nice, so easy. She spoke perfect English, and she was she was a person. <laughs> she was a per so on the way to the to the uh, theater, I sat in the a limousine with her in the back and chatted and back. It was an it, it's just for me to get comfortable. It takes takes work, you know, because I'm so easily impressed by what's going on around me too. She was great. She was just very easy to to spend time with, even on the way to the theater. And then when we got to the theater, lots of press waiting for her, photographers and all that. And so this, but when she got out of the, the car to, uh, she became, for them, she became Bishop Bardot. <laughs> you know what uh, I mean? She put yes. on the, the little sort of looking beautiful and all that, and she did it so so beautifully. But she was, she did that for them, but that's not how she, that she really was. It yeah. was just professional well, behavior. Yeah, I loved hearing that story because she really, she really left the film business at the height of her career. I mean, she could have gone on further, but didn't want to do it anymore. And, and she's lived such a wonderful kind of quiet life, but such an animal advocate and um, just uh, wonderful to hear that she was really very, very nice and <laughs> in, the, in real life. Yeah, she, she, she was. And, and, uh, and also, the, um, I, I love the fact that she's uh, such a, a, a devoted animal. Uh, yes, exactly. I love exactly. that. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> I have a couple of rescue dogs, so I always love oh, to hear me, that. Me too. Oh, okay. that's so great. Yeah. So of all the movies, and you, you, you did so many movies, if we leave West Side Story out, do you, was there any one favorite or one experience that really stands out in your amazing career? Well, uh, working as, as, a, as a chorus dancer, again, which I loved, there, I, I loved uh, Why Christmas comes, comes to Mind. And, and the reason Why Christmas Comes to Mind is, uh, uh, again, Robert Alton was the choreographer. He knew everybody's name. You were never just a dancer. You, everybody had a name. And so he, he, he was wonderfully respectful about that. He was very funny. He had a great sense of humor. Um, but uh, we had done the Mandy number, it was called, that was a lot of dancers, guys and girls, with the four stars, with uh, Bing Crosby, Danny Kaye, uh, Rosemary Clooney, and Vera Ellen. They were all in that number. Most wow. of the dancing, most of the dancing was done by Vera Ellen, and a wonderful partner she had with her. His name was Johnny Brasha. He was great. So we did the Mandy number at a great time, and we all heard that there was a number that Rosie was going to be doing that would involve just four guys. And when we all heard that, of course, every, all of us wanted to be, hope we would be one of those four guys, you know? Of course. <laughs> so, so time was going and they hadn't had auditions for it, anything like that. And my friend Matt Maddox had already been cast as one of the brothers in Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Uh, and Matt, Matt called me and he wanted me to audition for, um, um, gosh, I'm going to get the choreographer for, for Seven Brides for Seven. Michael, come on. Um, It'll come I, to you tonight. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I remember, I remember, I didn't want to, I didn't want to audition for that because I was hoping that I'd be one of the guys in that number with Rosemary. But to make a long story short, I ultimately did go to to Metro and audition for Michael. Famous name. How can I not think of it right now? And I, I gave a 
horrible audition. And of course they didn't pick me. <laughs> but, and, and then a little bit later, Robert Alton did decide on, on the four guys that he was gonna use with Rosemary and I got to be one of them. And the beauty of that number is it's different things. It's first of all, to be around Rosemary Clooney, you couldn't be around a better person in any way, shape or form. She was darling. Um, and, but because there were only four of us, you, you could see us, you know, we, we weren't stuck in the back of, of, with amongst 12 people or something. So we, we were visible. Um, I don't know how much, how conscious I was of any of that, but what happened was um, when uh, uh, th there was a, a, a two page spread in Life magazine on White Christmas. And in the lower left-hand corner, I remember it was a picture of, in color of Rosie with the four guys. And uh, a lot of, uh, People, girls, I, whoever, uh, clipped out that picture with a circle around. They wanted to know who I was. <laughs> and, 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 and after that, I was working on a, a movie called The Girl Rush with, with Rosalind Russell. Uh, it was the same producer for, for both films. And one day during the rehearsal of uh, Girl Rush, Robert Emmett Dolan, I remember his name, the producer of White Christmas and The Girl Rush, came to the set, to the rehearsal, and he had a lot of letters in his hand. And he knew that they were for me. And, and he said, and based on that, he thought that Paramount should test me. Um, and, they, and, and they did, I got to do a test. I did a, a, an acting test with one of the contract players, Brett Halsey, very handsome, wonderful young actor. And, and I got to do a musical test and, and in which I, I sang and, and I danced and it was in color. I, I don't know how that, and Robert Alton, uh, choreographed and staged my my uh, musical film test. I mean, I, I, it's so wildly lucky, you know. So and and then so they signed me to a seven year contract. I was only there for a year, but in in that year, um, uh, a wonderful producer at Metro, Joe Pasternak, who had, had done I don't know how many incredible movie musicals, was doing a, mo a movie called uh, Meet Me in Las Vegas with Dan Day and Sid Charisse. And there were roles in this, in this movie for uh, a guy and a girl for a young couple on their honeymoon in Las Vegas, but they've lost all their money and they have no place <laughs> to stay. <laughs> and, and so there's, there's a number between this, Betty Lynn who played my wife, starring beautiful sing everything, uh, and I, got to do this number with Dan Daly called It's Fun to Be in Love. And um, we all got to sing part of it. And Hermes Pan choreographed the, the dancing part for Betty and myself. And um, it, was, it was such a delicious time. I got to hear that beautiful MGM, that lush orchestra and all of that stuff that I grew up hearing. Um, and, but Joe Pasternak, every time I would, every time he would see me, he said, you're going to be a big star, you're going to be a big star. He was so, so nice. And in the course of that time at Paramount, they, they changed my name. They thought Shakiris was too complicated. Yes. <laughs> and they changed it to Keris, K-E-R-R-I-S. It was hard to find a name. It was really hard. Any name that felt right, nothing really did, but that came closer to feeling right. Uh, so after I had finished working on um, Meet Me in Las Vegas, I was able to go back to the MGM lot whenever I wanted to watch anything else they were filming. And Sid was filming uh, uh, The Sleeping Beauty Ballet, it was called, partnered by an incredible dancer, Mark Wilder, choreographed by Eugene Loring. 
So I was on my way. I, I, was, I was allowed to drive onto the lot and pull over and park by a soundstage and go anywhere I wanted. Couldn't wow. do that now. You know? no. <laughs> so, so I did that one day and I was on my way to the soundstage to watch Sid and, and Mark. And coming toward me um, at that same time was Joe Pasternak's associate producer, whose name I can't remember right now, but lovely, lovely man. So we stopped in the street and chatted a bit. And at the end of the at the end of that very short conversation, he said, oh, by the way, we have to cut the number because the film is too long. Well, my heart hit the cement. <laughs> that's the, I think that's a great way to describe it because uh -huh. that's what it felt like. So the number, and then Joe Pasnack saying you're a big star and all that, it's over. <laughs> and so, but, but the, thing, the thing I remember at that moment, that was when I, I decided, okay, go back to your real name at least just do that you know yes and, thank goodness you did that yeah, yeah that was a good thing that came out of that yeah having your heart fall to the floor well <laughs> george you you are you're you're such a talented talented charming man and you're so modest about everything too and you have I'm so happy that you have that you wrote this memoir this year, and really everyone has to read it because you share such wonderful stories. And I said to you earlier when we were just talking, one of the things I really appreciated about your memoir is you you don't you're not a mean guy. You don't say mean things about people. You're not mean spirited. You really talk about the people that you liked and. Um, and you didn't kiss and tell, and it all goes to show that people can tell a memoir that's interesting and entertaining <laughs> without doing yeah. all those things. So, so kudos to you for that. And I Thank and you. I hope we see more people writing memoirs in that in, in a kind of a nicer, kinder way. But before you leave, you you know you stopped acting you know quite a while ago, but you started making jewelry. So tell us about your jewelry business. Well, uh, <clears throat> um, I started the jewelry, I'm guessing about maybe 20 years ago, something like that. Um, I can't remember how, uh, what made me uh, get interested in jewelry, but because I got interested, uh, there was a wonderful school here in Los Angeles called Barnesville. It's a university uh, at which they teach classes in sculpting, uh, pottery making, painting, jewelry, all of the Art, artistic things. Mm -hmm. And so I went there uh, specifically to focus on jewelry and uh, and just being in a class with other people and starting to learn about that, really, uh, I started making things. I, just, I and, uh, and that was the, that was the beauty of it. It's, I mean, it's, it, it took me a while to actually really make things and, and to learn how to solder and, and work with metal and with wax and molds and make pieces. But um, it, it, uh, it really took over and I loved doing it. I got very familiar with the, the jewelry district in downtown Los Angeles. I got to know everybody and I, I really found my way. And, uh, and in the course of that, I was making making I was making different pieces and it's um, all silver jewelry too right silver just silver yes it's all silver I remember uh the first day of class the teacher said now said don't waste your money on jewelry your beginners just uh, silver is less expensive just use silver or something else but don't do gold you'll be wasting your money so and so but, but in the course of that I fell in love with silver uh, uh it, when something is finished 
and it's polished. Silver, really, to me, really comes to life in the most beautiful way. The sheen and, and, and highly polished surface is, 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 is reflected and it's really beautiful. And you can really appreciate the shapes, the shape of something because it's so reflective. Um, and uh, so, and, but in the in that course of that time, with I did meet some, uh, I did get to know the manufacturing people in downtown Los Angeles, and through them, a Japanese distributor had seen some of my things and wanted to represent be my distributor in Japan, and that's how it became quote unquote professional. Uh, thanks to him, uh, he started. He, he he my my things are still available in, in Japan. We still work together, and I still work with a manufacturer downtown here. I have a manufacturer in Thailand, and uh, but so it's a, it's a business, but I call it a, a small business because it. Uh, because I'm 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 sort of doing everything and, yes. <laughs> and I, have keep, I have to keep it contained. You know? Well, your designs are absolutely beautiful, and if people go to your website and it's we'll put this in the notes too, but it's georgechakaris.com. Yeah. Not only will they learn more about your your career, they'll see some great videos there, but they'll also see the jewelry. And I can you buy the jewelry online? Through your yeah, yes, uh, yes. It, it, I sell it's it's so only online at yes. I, I guess you're right, georgecoast.com. Yes, um, and it's yeah. just there's just some really truly beautiful pieces. So um Thank I you. love Thank how you. creative you continue to be. Yeah. You are uh, you're an inspiration to everyone. It has been such a joy and delight for me to get to have this conversation with you today. Really, thank you so much. God, thank you so much. Yeah, I've really uh, enjoyed the time with you. Thank yeah, you. And I wish you all the best with the book and congratulations on the 60th anniversary oh, of West yeah. Side Story. <laughs> and I can't Who wait knew? to I can't wait to watch it again in May. So thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you. I've had a great time with you. Thank you. <laughs>